Welcome to Audio Club, a new music technology podcast from Yorkshire Sound Women Network. I'm Cara C, and each month I'm going to be talking to some amazing women and gender minority audio professionals who will be telling us about their work and also sharing some creative inspiration, career advice, gear tips and much more. In this episode, things get a little futuristic as we look at how recent innovations in technology have opened up exciting possibilities to get creative with sound. I'm joined by sound artists and researchers Vicky Clark and Jung In Jung to hear about the ways in which they're each taking audio into new dimensions. Manchester-based Vicky is currently using artificial intelligence to lead listeners through impossible digital sound worlds. And at Dundee's in-game research and development centre, Jungin has created a way for musicians to collaborate and improvise in a virtual reality space. What brought them to this point? And what do they think the future holds? You won't need a crystal ball to find out. Just keep listening to Audio Club. Hello and welcome to Audio Club, Vicky Clark and Jungin. I wonder if you can tell us a bit about what you do and how you're using cutting-edge technology to be creative with sound. Jung-in, could you start for us, please? Yes. Um, hi, I'm Jung-in Jung. I'm a sound artist and researcher, currently doing my postdoc at the Research Centre in-game as a R&D fellow in interactive engagement. I enjoy creating works using interactive game technology, and most recently I've used virtual reality to create sound performances. Um, but in the past, I've also used hexagon controllers or motion sensors to create collaborative works with contemporary dancers. Wonderful. And Vicky? Hello there. Hi, I'm Vicky. I'm, I'm a sound artist from Manchester. So I work with DIY electronics and sound sculpture. And so I'm, I'm interested in this kind of relationship we have with technology, these human machine systems, really. So I'm currently doing a residency at Novars at the University of Manchester, where I'm exploring the collision of two disciplines, so machine learning and music concrete. So working a lot with recorded sound and neural networks to kind of generate new audio with algorithms, which is called neural synthesis. So this is my current kind of technological research at the moment. Um, neural networks, what's that all about? Is that our neural networks or is it the machines or both? So neural networks are kind of an approximation of biological neurons. So machine learning is a type of artificial intelligence. So we use neural networks or a model, um, and that trains on a large amount of data. And it tries to find patterns in that data to make a new prediction or output. So in this case, the data is audio data, so lots of samples, for example. And the model or the network sort of trains or learns, I'm doing air quotes, by the way, learns on that data um, to try and find, find patterns or common features. And then it generates an output based on that data. Yeah, so these predictions or outputs are kind of new audio material and sound material that you can work with creatively. Right. And so tell us about your Aurum machine project, um, what you're doing and how it works and why. Um, so, yeah, like I said, I work a lot with field recordings. I like to record my own sounds and think about the materiality of sounds, so working with sculpture. Um, and I've been really interested for a long time in music concrete. So taking recordings as raw material and sort of transforming them in some way. 
So sort of historically, this was done using tape manipulation with recorded sound. Um, But I was interested in this new sort of technological turn um, using deep learning and machine learning, which works with samples as well, to see how you could use these technologies to kind of transform material in new ways. So what I'm trying to do is see how I can take my practice and work with machine learning, generate new audio. So what happens is that um, you have to kind of create a training data set of sounds. So what I've done is um, made a data set of different you know, sound materials that I'm interested in, basically. So I've recorded sounds of wood and glass and metal, um, also recorded the sounds of Manchester mill spaces, and also the sounds of noise and electricity. So this is my kind of data set. Um, and then I'm using that to kind of work with the, the neural network model to detect the, the commonalities of the features and then see what it outputs. So kind of artistically, I'm interested to see are there any new sort of sounds or new architectures or forms that will emerge from this process? And how can I compose with that? So to give an analogy, um, so for example, if you were to train the model on 10 hours of a saxophone, you will pretty much get out uh, a machine approximation of a saxophone, for example. Now, for me, that's not super interesting. Um, I want to see what happens when you blend different types of materials and to see what's kind of creatively interesting about that. Will you kind of get new sonic artifacts to work with creatively? So that's sort of the basis of the project. And then I've made a composition called Aura Machine, which kind of charts this process. So input, training and output, and takes the listener on a journey through this kind of technological process. Wow, awesome. Sounds like a fun rabbit hole to inhabit. And Jungin, could you tell us about your Sound of Light project, please? Sound of Light is a multiplayer VR sound performance project which uh, uses Oculus Quest hand tracking feature. Um, in Sound of Light, players can trigger different kinds of sounds with various hand movements and gestures. And the more they trigger certain sounds, it also changes the environment and the texture of sound. And my Indian colleague, Paul Blackham, did the beautiful graphics and game art. Um, the project idea came out during the pandemic. Before Sound of Light, I created another VR work, which is a single player using the open source machine learning tool Wackinator to explore embodied musical expression in VR. Um, I was supposed to perform the piece at the Baby Castles Gallery in New York physically. So I was thinking of presenting it in a quite traditional way me standing in front of people wearing a VR headset and people watching the projected image from a headset and listening to my performance and etc. But when it was cancelled due to the pandemic, I realised that I need to create a new format to present my work rather than just waiting for a better moment. So um, since then, I decided to focus on my research towards the multiplayer and social side rather than just between me and the technology. So one interesting feature of Sound of Light is that there is no voice chat function. So the players can only communicate with their hand gestures and sounds they trigger. Um, My initial purpose of this was enhancing and focusing on only physical movement and sound. But I realized that it offered a very interesting situation to observe participants, uh, how they learn things from me and how they learn and teach things to each other. And also in the end, it created unbiased, gender neutral space to purely perform and play together. So um, I'm currently also writing an essay based on this experience. 
Brilliant. Awesome stuff. I wonder if I could ask both of you if there's been any kind of particular advancements in technology over the past few years that makes it possible for you to do what you're doing. Um, definitely, there have been huge improvements with VR technology in the last, I would say, even less than five years. Um, the headsets are much lighter and higher quality, even though it is still quite heavy and I, I also can't use it more than an hour. I mean, some people say they can't even wear it for 10 minutes or something like that, but still, it's much better. Um, but especially Oculus Quest is very affordable and it also supports the hand tracking feature without requiring you to wear any extra hand tracking gloves or anything like that. And also the game engine such as Unity and the game sound software such as F-Mode or Audio Connect is Wise are very accessible in terms of making the job to be done so easily without uh, you to have like special educational background on that kind of subject. Vicky? Uh, yeah, so so yeah, machine learning isn't actually new. It's been around since the 1950s, but it's only sort of recently within the last 10, 10 years really that deep learning um, has kind of really changed changed the game really. So basically machine learning needs a lot of computational power. Um, the more training data you have and the longer it trains, the more accurate your kind of outcome will, will be. So as computers have become more powerful, it's meant that these algorithms and these models have become more used and they're more accessible. Um, there's been other things in terms of software as well, sort of more kind of democratizing factors where people are using um, things like Google's TensorFlow, Facebook's PyTorch, um, and also the use of Python programming language has meant that more and more people are kind of gaining access to these algorithms and these models that are kind of shareable on the internet. Wow, cool. And I was, yeah, that moves us on to finding out a bit more about what kit and software you are using. So Vicky, are you able to do all this just on your laptop, if you like, or do you have to go to a bigger computer to be able to work? For the residency, I'm working in collaboration with PRISM, um, which is Practice for Research in Science and Music at RNCM, so the Northern College of Music. And I'm working with them specifically uh, because they have access to these really great computing machines. So it's really kind of important that you have this computing power. You can do parts of it in your laptop as well. So I've been doing some cloud-based training. So some of these models are available on things called Google Collabs, which are these notebooks that are available in the cloud. So you can do small batches of cloud-based training, but you'll never, you won't get as, you know, they won't be able to be trained for as long as if you had you know a really good machine for example so having access to that technology it can be a challenge so yeah I'm using that some home-based training and also in terms of composition I'm just using you know Ableton as as usual because you have this material that you then have to edit and work with at the start of the residency I did learn Python I kind of foolishly thought that oh I'll just make my own algorithms that's that's fine <laughs> it's actually really difficult but then, because I now understand the kind of grammar of how these things work, it means that I can kind of converse with the technologists that I'm collaborating with better. I can understand the code on these Google Collab notebooks and change some of the parameters as I go. So having that kind of base in coding is, is quite interesting and can kind of make you understand a little bit more what's happening with these processes. Awesome. Yeah. And Jungin, apart from the Oculus Quest, what other kit are you using? I use the game engine Unity to create the VR content. Um, I mean, I've never used it before I started my job at in-game, but 
you know, this pandemic kind of offered me a great time to learn all these kind of new things. So Unity uses a C-sharp language. So that's something I had to learn. But it's, it wasn't so difficult to um, apply things once I understood the syntax of C-sharp language, although I don't really do anything really advanced stuff yet. And to use VR um, in a more like a real-time uh, way, it also requires a proper GPU computer power. So this is still a, a bit of challenge, but still, if you don't do anything in real-time stuff, you can also do it with your just laptop with Unity engine. And, and of course, you need the Oculus Quest headset. Yeah, yeah. You're listening to the audio from Jungin's multiplayer VR performance project called Sound of Light. This uses the Oculus Quest headset's hand tracking feature to turn players' gestures into a range of sounds. I wonder if you can pinpoint succinctly is a challenge for you. Um, why why you got drawn into these yeah rabbit holes for want of a better expression? What made you think particularly curiously about this aspect and think I want to learn more about this? I'm not just interested in sound and music. For me, it was really interesting to uh, use VR because somehow I can create a new space completely different experience depending on how I created for that virtual space. And then when I saw the hand tracking feature uh, of Oculus Quest, I realized even that just the one part of your body is kind of uh, visualized in real time in virtual space, but it actually makes huge difference. Your hands are no longer really these fake hands with, you know, visualized controllers, but it's really actually you see your rear hand movements. It's a, yeah, it's a kind of like mixed reality ex experience. So um, I thought it'd be really interesting to create something uh, I can experiment musically and uh, explore my embodied musical expression using this kind of technology. Mm, yeah, definitely. It's really physical, isn't it? That's one thing I really yeah. like about it. Yeah, so even though people are gaming, there's still that physical and the mind-body connection. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, Vicky? Yeah, so for me, I was aware of kind of machine learning tools that looked at MIDI note pattern generation and things like this. 
Um, but it was when I heard about this specific type of machine learning neural synthesis where you're actually synthesizing new audio that that really made me quite excited. And I went on a trip to a research trip to Russia a couple of years ago to meet a couple of artists who were working with some of these tools and hearing some of the sounds that were coming out of this of these training networks. They were sounds that I hadn't heard before. And mm. for me, that was really exciting to sort of hear types of new sounds. And there was things like um, almost like machine breath I was hearing and um, yeah, different architectures and, and events and tones happening that I wouldn't expect. So I instantly thought, actually, this is really exciting for kind of the materiality of sound. So what would happen if I was to kind of collide different materials together? Could I create these new sounds and how would I compose with those? So for me, it was very much about, about the sound and trying to find new ways to work in this way. And because I work a lot with samples and music concrete and drum machines and all of this type of thing, um, I was just really fascinated by what this machine learning is. So is it a, is it, is it, could it be an instrument? Is it a tool to make music with? Is it actually um, a new kind of sample generator, for example, or is it a collaborator? And kind of where within this, this process, where's the kind of hand of the artist? Where do you have autonomy? What can you affect? So for me, it was both sort of conceptually very interesting, um, but also I was just really interested in terms of what does this sound like? Does it sound mm. good? Can I, can I work with these new sounds? Yeah, great. And can you describe the kind of sounds that you are getting as you train the, the machine learning model? Yeah, yeah. So the sounds that you are getting are obviously they're kind of brought out via the, the inputs that you give the model. So my data set was full of um, material sounds, um, electrical noises, and the sounds of these mill spaces around Manchester. So your training data set as kind of the human input really does set up what you're going to kind of receive out of the out of the machine however when i got this material back so it trains via these um, things called epochs so every time it does one training that's called an epoch and you get samples out at these particular checkpoints so the earlier epochs are kind of more noisy and fuzzy and the later epochs you can start to hear different architectures and like events and tones and things happening a bit more kind of constructed and concise but I was kind of looking out for things like um, what I call to be kind of errors or like in-between states. So what kind of blends or, or different things that I wouldn't expect to hear. So some of these sounds when I was listening back, I felt like I was almost acting like the algorithm. I was trying to classify these sounds and kind of detect these features. So I could hear things like blends of glass and static together because um, I've recorded some electromagnetic frequencies. So that was a really beautiful kind of timbre that I could just listen to for hours, really relaxing. Other things were like this kind of machine wind sound that I could hear throughout, this kind of breathy type of sound. And then lots of really horrible, awful sounds, actually. So lots of kind of scratchy, metallic pops and clicks and events that I had to then kind of sort through and think about compositionally what I would do. And it was quite an uncanny experience because... Yeah, usually when you work with any sound material, you, you, you sort of know the origin of that. You can contextualize where that's come from. With this material, um, you, you're always kind of second guessing because it's, if it's kind of of unknown origin in that way. It's not kind of naturally born, as it were. So it was quite an interesting process of listening to this material and starting to categorize it and then sort of think how I could compose with that. 
Yeah. So what are your sort of plans or dreams or hopes for what you what you would like to actually create with it, if you like? So the Aura Machine, I did a, a piece, a first piece for the Future Music event at RNC and back in June. So that was a 10 minute sort of AV piece that was broadcast on the internet. Basically, the aim of that was to sort of guide, just to sort of take the listener on a journey through this process. So starting with kind of music concrete sounds representing the training data through this process of transmutation, this learning process. And then the output was the end section. And it was quite sort of purist about it. So I wanted to keep the output AI as kind of true to what I was hearing as possible. So I didn't overproduce that in any way. So you could hear the materiality. Um, and now I'm working with the same materials um, and I'm looking to kind of develop this as, as a live set. So how can you perform with the sound materials? So that's my current challenge at the moment. Awesome. And um, you talked about it taking some pretty high level computer processing power. Is there any way that people can? have a go at trying out machine learning at home? Yeah, absolutely. I'd say at the moment, there are more kind of easy to use and kind of interface tools for image-based machine learning. So you can use platforms such as, as Runway, where you can use style GANs or do text training with GPT-2, for example. Um, if you understand a, a bit of code as well, you can, you can basically find lots of open source models that you can train yourself in the cloud using Google Collab Notebooks. But I definitely think there's a change coming within audio machine learning where there will be more accessible interfaces available coming quite soon. I'm actually doing a project next year with Brighter Sound working with young women where we're going to look at these accessible tools to hopefully open up a little bit more this accessibility to sort of composing with audio machine learning. So that's the challenge at the moment. Mm. Uh, there's things like uh, Google's Magenta for Ableton Live, uh, which is really fun. Um, but again, that is more to do with MIDI pattern generation and less kind of neural synthesis and audio generation. But yeah, there's things come in, very exciting stuff. Excellent. Great. And Jungin, how did you approach the sound design aspect of your project? How are the sounds converted into a form that works in the virtual space? Again, as I said, like I'm really excited about like creating a new virtual space and, you know, bring that, you know, the sound experience I wanted to create in that space. So I usually think about uh, what kind of um, like spatial information I should add to the sound I create in the virtual space. So for instance, um, depending on the, the game environment, I mean, I'll say game environment, but I mean the virtual environment design, I think about what kind of reverb I should use or attenuation. So it's, it is a bit like game sound design. But the reason why I'm doing this is because I think about the multiplayer side. So when people join, I hope everyone feel people feel the similar kind of a spatial um, sound experience uh, as well. Yeah. Yeah. And I wonder for you both, what was the kind of main challenges as you were finding your way, both artistically or technically, as you were finding your way with these projects? Jiangin? Well, learning a new technology was a challenge for sure, but with Sound of Light in particular, um, I realized that it was not so easy to teach people how to perform sound without the voice chat function. So I, I didn't tell any details of the project deliberately because I wanted to observe how people navigate in that unfamiliar uh, virtual space with sound. So I just told them, um, it would be using the hand tracking feature. And my initial idea was immediately conducting 
sound improvisation when participants join the network. Um, but in reality, it was not possible at all. And in fact, it was quite chaotic. I realized um, even though people had Oculus Quest headsets, because there were not enough games using the hand tracking feature, people were not aware of very basic controls even with, you know, with their hands, such as how to start and quit the game or recording and that kind of thing. So um, yeah, all that trials and errors and everyone was spread all over the space. And because I wasn't able to tell people to stand around me to try a group improvisation because I couldn't talk to them with my voice. So I kind of uh, almost gave up and decided to just teach uh, each person how to trigger different kinds of sounds and just enjoy the experience. But then there was a moment when suddenly everyone was standing in front of me. Perhaps everyone probably spent enough time to explore different kinds of controls and sound by then. And then I, you know, I tried to conduct uh, sound improvisation and people finally found it very fun and also realized my purpose of the project. So that was actually very challenging, but also very interesting experience for me to observe how people communicate uh, non-verbally just using their uh, physical movement and sound. Yeah, so patience and persistence were definitely required. <laughs> definitely. <laughs> and Vicky? So, yeah, challenges that I encountered. Um, I'd say, yeah, technical challenges is just access to equipment and knowledge, actually. So doing this residency has, has been great because I've been part of um, a new machine learning for music group called Unsupervised. Um, and that's a collaboration between uh, Movars at the university, but also RNCM. So it's meant that we'd ha we've had this kind of monthly club where we all meet up with the students and chat about, you know, things that we're finding difficult, things that we've found out, what are the sort of compositional challenges. So that's been really good to kind of have that support, actually. But if I wasn't doing the residency, it would be quite hard to kind of, as a non-brilliant coder, to kind of access these models and have the skills to do that. So this accessibility question is, is kind of key, I think, for kind of opening this up in the future. And artistically, um, it's been a challenge to just compose with the material, actually. When we worked with the, the training model, the actual audio quality was, has to be 16K and 16-bit, which is quite lo-fi. So that meant that the material that you kind of generated out, out, of, the, uh, out of the model was, again, quite lo-fi. So then that kind of brought up different compositional and aesthetic questions around, you know, how much do I change this material? So for this first piece, I purposely kept that really pure. I wanted to sort of show the listeners and the audience what this actually sounded like as a material. So it is very lo-fi, but I actually really grew to love this kind of sound world in the end, actually, um, and kind of embrace that. So that, yeah, so that was, that was a challenge as well, just to how to compose with that. Awesome. Yeah, I really like how you're both challenging the stereotypes of what those technologies exist for. So, for example, I've been sent an email that says, would you help us test some artificial intelligence that can create pop melodies for you? Or also that virtual reality can be quite a solitary experience. Um, are you intentionally doing this or is it just happened that you're in that kind of questioning troublemaker zone? <laughs> Jung in Well, I don't know. I have mixed feelings about VR technology because I mean VR can be a solitary experience but you know nowadays there are a lot more social VR contents so it is no longer just a solitary experience 
but definitely it reduced physical contact, I guess. But I, I think it is just not VR, maybe. Um, but any online online technology, we could see the advantage of the internet during the pandemic, you know, uh, which lets us to work and meet remotely. And there have been some news about how it actually included more people providing its access, um, not just for dis disabled, but also you know introverts and you know that kind of people. Yeah, I, I have the mix. <laughs> I have mixed feelings about mm. it, but. Mm. I don't try to create a solitary experience, of course. You know, I, I'd love to invite more people and perform with me mm. and enjoy that experience together. Yeah, I, I fully agree with that, actually. And, yeah, this question of sort of, you know, AI being used to imitate human composers, I think that's one, that's one route, maybe kind of a, an extreme route, for example. But creative machine learning can be so much more nuanced than that. There's lots of different ways that you can work with with these tools and, and with these disciplines. So for me, the sort of fascinating thing about it is this idea of creating with the machine in some way, this sort of collaboration. Where's the hand of the artist? Where do you have autonomy? What do you get to, to decide? And ultimately, doing this, this project is actually really kind of reinforced for me how kind of human this process is. So these algorithms are created by, by humans. We have to supply the training data and we decide what parameters the model's working with. And then we work with the output material in a, you know, a normal compositional way. So it's, it's hugely creative. Um, and actually, um, the thing that I'm interested in is what can the machine do that I can't do? What, what does it suggest that I that I wouldn't think of? You know, it doesn't come with, you know, ideas of beauty or nuance or context. So those connections that are being made within the data, which we might find unbeautiful or unesthetic, they could be really interesting. So these kind of errors, these in-between states. So for me, it's kind of just the start. It's really creative and we can kind of um, really think about yeah, how we sort of collaborate with these with these technologies, um, and we still kind of maintain this autonomy and this kind of decision making over over what's happening, really. So I think artistically, um, it's quite interesting. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And do you have any concerns or feel there's any ethical questions around these advances in technology? For VR, there are VR headsets with facial tracking, so. Um, in the future, um, it will be possible to show our facial expression and eye contact with other users using this technology. Um, and this will enhance the connectivity with other people. But I mean, this is the narrative from big tech companies. Um, and yet we still don't know how this uh, technology can be used. This biometric data can be used to create even more personalized experience or advertisement, uh, which is already happening on social media. Mm. So uh, we may think we are sharing the same experience, but again, going back to the solidarity experience, maybe uh, we never know, uh, we may hear and see different things in virtual reality. And we know how music affects uh, psychologically. So this very subtle manipulation can happen in mm. virtual reality. And yeah. also where all our biometric data goes and how is it going to be used beyond commercially and, yeah. you know, as Vicky is using machine learning and, you know, yeah. of course, all this data mining and, you know, all these things need to be, um, you know, we, we, sh we should 
you know, continuously raising questions about this. Yeah, I agree. I think um, data bias yeah, is, is always present. It's been very much written about within kind of image-based machine learning as well. I think with this project, because I was kind of constructing that training data, I knew exactly what was in, in that data. So I kind of came up with a series of rules of how I would construct this data set. So for me, it was a biased data set in that I, I kind of knew all of the sounds. I recorded all of the sounds um, within that. So yeah, this kind of issue, issue of bias. I'd say music is kind of more abstract potentially than kind of when, when you think about image classification, which has, you know, it's quite dangerous in terms of assumptions around gender and race. But yeah, I think this is still to be kind of looked into further within audio machine learning as more and more people use these tools, really. Mm. Yeah, and I guess with anything, I mean, I know someone who works for the BBC doing AI development, and she was saying that I think she's the only woman in the in the team. And yes. I was saying how important that is, because as you say, it is the humans that are ultimately interacting and putting in just the parameters, a bit like scientists, you know, they're the ones yeah. coming up with the questions before they find the answers. So there is that. You can't step away from that, can you? At the same time as, yeah, I think even music itself is so socially constructed, isn't it, as to what is mm. what is acceptable or good and what isn't kind of thing. Yeah. But, um, yeah, let's hope that those questions will all stay on the table, if you like. was an extract from Vicky's piece, Aura Machine, produced as part of her project exploring the meeting of music concrete and machine learning with the neural network generating the sounds of imaginary materials. So I wonder if you can sort of do any signposting for people who might want to find out more about the crafts and the, and the technologies and the engineering side of what you've learned. Is there any kind of websites that you're aware of or resources or courses or anybody else's work you'd like to recommend? Definitely, if you're interested in creating um, any game contents or, or VR contents uh, using your sound, um, check out the Unity engine. And also they provide really nice uh, free courses you can learn. So I think they're still doing the free courses online. And it's really um, accessible tool, so I would definitely recommend to do that. And also, I check out other <laughs> YouTubers' work a lot, and I 
learn from them and I check out their tutorials. And one of the YouTuber I watch is Balem. He teaches from very basic stuff, such as how to create a very simple VR game to multiplayer or gesture detection, all that kind of thing. So which can be a good resource to uh, perform your sound work. Um, and also Dilmer, he introduces new mixed reality tools and motion tracking technology and that kind of things um, to use in Unity. So that's uh, also a really good resource. And for me, um, I also recommend if you have a chance uh, just to play a lot more VR games. First, we need to, I mean, you need to have some fun. Otherwise, you know, there's no inspiration to create something. So the reason why I also started creating VR work is not just the, the technology side, but also I had a lot of fun during the pandemic playing multiplayer games in VR. And one of the game I played was The Underpresence, which was actually my main inspiration for Sound of Light. And it is a multiplayer game which inspired me um, to think about how to use physical movement. It, it also didn't use any voice chat. Um, and also they created this immersive participatory theater, Tempest. Um, so if you have a chance um, to use a VR headset, just go and have some fun and try things. Yeah, brilliant. We'll put links to those in our show notes um, so you can find those. Um, Vicky? Yeah, so I would suggest if you want to you know, start thinking about programming, you could do a beginner's Python course. So I did one on Codecademy and they're relatively cheap. And that's a good way to sort of just to start thinking about these processes there's kind of beginner's machine learning courses that you can do online quite easily. To find out more about what people are doing kind of academically and what, what these kind of seats of knowledge are at the moment, and there's a few places that you could look. So first of all, I would look at our group, which is unsupervised. So that's the group between RNC and, and Novars, and you can find out about some of the artists making sound works there. Um, other places you can look, um, so Queen Mary's University in London, they do a PhD in machine learning and music, and so there's some quite interesting research happening there. Um, and also the Alan Turing Institute is a good place to look. And yeah, if you want to sort of start using machine learning in the cloud, so from your laptop, you can literally Google, you know, audio machine learning models, so maybe look up things like WaveNet or Sample RNN and see if you can have a play with some of the models that already exist in the cloud that you can train at home. Sort of exciting things as well, so to see what kind of music's being made. So music festivals, um, kind of international music festivals, are really sort of clicked onto this stuff. Um, so Mutech Festival is a really good place to sort of view artists' work. Um, and also Sonar Festival in Barcelona just did a, an AI music special I think you can still watch the performances online um, and there you can see, you know, people that are doing some really exciting stuff internationally. Two artists that I'd recommend are some friends from Berlin, actually. So the first one is Hexorcismus, who's making sound work. He, he's actually um, on the Masters in Berlin, um, but he's making sound work that is looking at decolonizing AI. So he works with kind of artifacts of indigenous cultures. It's really interesting work. Um, and also Portrait Exo, who works with Dada Bots and who's doing a lot of work around voice and AI. So both really fantastic musical artists. Wow, awesome. Also, I think I didn't mention anything about game audio stuff. So I just 
you know, wanted to recommend to check out, you know, Audio Kinetic Wise is the most commonly used game audio software, and they have a very good documentation to how to use their software and also videos available. So it's very accessible so, and it's uh, free to use up to like 200 uh, sound uh, samples, I think, something like that. So, you know, you can always just easily download it to your laptop and try it. Great. Thank you. And where can people find you and your work online, Jungin? You can find my, about my work on uh, my website, junginjung.com. And also I uh, post things on my Twitter, again, uh, junginjung. Uh, and underscore. Yeah, for me, you can, you can go to my website, vickyclark.org, or visit me on Instagram as well. I sort of post a lot of my sort of process on there. There'll be a website coming out sort of charting this research in the new year as well. So yeah, I'll keep you posted on that. Awesome. Wow. Well, glad that you two are there in the helm of um, the futures of art forms that you're working in. And um, yeah, wish you all the best with your things yet still to discover thanks caro thank you audio club is a podcast from yorkshire sound women network presented by me caro c and edited by joe kennedy the theme music is by iwan obinyan and it was produced by abby bliss this podcast is supported using public funding by the national lottery through arts council england to find out more about Yorkshire Sound Women Network, you can visit yorkshiresoundwomen.com. Thank you for listening.